Welcome to That Movie Was, a movie discussion podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Matt, joined by my co-host, Michael. Konnichiwa. Every episode, we pick a movie to watch and then discuss. In that episode, this movie was The Burbs, released in 1989. The Burbs. The Burbs. That's just a funny name. That's just a good name. That's just like, hey, what movie are we watching? Oh, yeah. The Burbs. Going down the- Don't get right. confused with uh, Alfred Hitchcock's The Birds. <laughs> the bird. yeah. that's a little scary the bird is the word <laughs> the bird is the word so this movie was directed by joe dante uh you might have heard that name correlation with a couple different movies he's had um the howling uh gremlins which one, one and gremlins oh, the gremlins, yeah. mm-hmm, mm-hmm. thank you i was just thinking along those lines Actually, it's funny enough. It's funny enough. Like, if you look some of the cast members too, like um, Corey Feldman, who's the, the kid that plays Ricky in the show, he's in Gremlins too. So it seems like this director has a correlation with some of the actors that play in other movies. Oh, definitely. Yeah, Joe Dante is one of those directors who likes to, I guess, reuse actors or always bring them back for different movies. Um, actually, there's one actor, uh, Dick Miller, who he's done a ton of work. He was one of the uh, garbage men in this movie, though. Um, he's been in every Joe Dante movie that's come out. Was he the one with the glasses, or is he the the, the one that was like, <laughs> I don't want your Reiki massage or anything like that. No hands for therapist. Good. He was the <laughs> other one. Yeah, he he was the one who um, he was a little bit more stern, <laughs> maybe like the uh, <laughs> the manager <laughs> of the other guy. <laughs> I, lo- I just love that part. It's just like when the grass, when the trash touches the ground, it's the public's domain. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> He's just trash. I thought that was funny too. Yeah, this movie has some good one-liners. <laughs> yeah, I did, but I just know that I would never ever do that to my local garbage man without him like spitting in my face or like throwing a dirty oh diaper God, at me. Yeah. Well, I mean, they they don't even get out of the truck in my neck of the woods because they just have you know the automated arm. I never even see the. Uh, garbage men but yeah yeah they don't yeah they don't ride the back that's probably a lot more sanitary than (laughs) picking up every single trash can uh (laughs) but yeah i mean so joe dante this was um this was just a place where this movie came out it was between the original gremlins which came out in 1984 and gremlins 2 which came out right after the burbs so he had already picked up a little bit of notoriety. Um, the Howling in 1982 was one of his big uh, kind of breakout movies. That's actually what got him Gremlins because uh, Steven Spielberg was a big fan of his directing and Chris Columbus's uh, writing on The Howling. It sounds like he's revolving around this like, well, of course, he's he's like t- horror f- uh, themed he's got he's like a tim burton he's got his horror niche and stuff like that but all the movies you've described right there just have that like 80s real feeling so whether it's the gremlins and you got puppets or we're talking about the burbs right now and it's just like 80s suburbia feeling like you can see it in the cinematography and everything like that and or the howling the howling right that's just some guy in a uh, cheap werewolves costume. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so I mean, I, I'd say you're right on point. Sort of like a horror comedy um, thing with, you know, the Gremlins. I would call it like a dark comedy, but it's also got, you know, some scary scenes. This kind of the same thing. Oh, yeah. 
For sure. It's just funny because, like, uh, the gremlins are so cute and everything like that. I still remember, like, when Burger King, what was it, Furbies? Furbies, yeah. And the Furbies <laughs> that used to come out. And I used to think, in my mind, these Furbies are just the gremlins' cousins. Oh, yeah, but Furbies were awful. I would take a gremlin any day. If Furbies <laughs> just sang to you and they would never shut up. They were, yeah, they were truly yeah. disturbing. But, you know, hey, it's for the kids. <laughs> it's funny that you mentioned Tim Burton, too. Um, Tim Burton was actually uh, kind of on deck to uh, direct Gremlins. Um, but Steven Spielberg, you know, he produced the movie. And he, at the time, didn't think Tim Burton had enough cachet with his name. He had never really taken on like, mm-hmm. a big movie before, whereas Joe Dante had the howling under his belt. And so ever since then, oh, like, the- Joe Dante and Tim Burton kind of like competed over a few different projects. I know uh, Joe Dante was originally supposed to direct um, the Michael Keaton Batman movie that came out, ended up going to Tim Burton. So they kind of came up at the same time and were competing with each other. In your opinion, since I know that you've seen a couple of these films, I know I've seen a couple of these films, who's darker? Um, Probably Joe Dante. Mm, mm. Okay, I was going to go Tim Burton. I think Tim Burton's the master of the dark and creepy, but also like in the same way, it's like lighthearted yeah. in a sense. Like, is that strange enough? When I think of Tim Burton, I either think of Nightmare uh, Before Christmas or Edward Scissorhands, where it's like it's truly dark and has like shady characters, and the use of black is like predominant <laughs> through the film. Yeah, I know what you but mean. It's, but at the same time, though, it's like, oh, this is an animated Disney movie. Oh, this deformed hand, like, scar child has a beautiful, loving family and, like, a love interest. It's so Tim Burton, Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, you know, some of his earlier movies, dark, but kind of in that hot topic type way that, <laughs> I mean. Yeah, none of these. There's no Rob Zombies here creating, like, you know, some slasher, gory, just really cringy type of stuff. This is more like, yeah, like, what's going on at the time? How can I take, like, what seems like a normal society and add my dark twist to it? Yeah, the reason I did say Joe Dante being darker is that he actually had to fight a little bit to uh, keep some darker parts of Gremlins that um, I think original test audiences and the studios wanted to cut out. Like at the end of that movie, when, um, oh gosh, I don't remember what her name is in the movie, but the love interest, the boy at the end of Gremlins. Right. Sorry, we're spoiling Gremlins, but it's from 1984 for anybody who hasn't seen it. <laughs> oh, you should have seen she it by now. that story about her dad dressing up as Santa and coming down the chimney to uh, surprise the family. He gets stuck in the chimney dies in there they you know find her dad like you know missing after a week or two or the smell starts wafting down the studio wanted to cut mm. that out all together but joe dante fought to keep that in he said he was gonna like walk off the project if that wasn't kept in i don't i can't see tim burton doing that same thing mm. Mm. Good point. Good point. And there's also, if you recognize in the Burbs, when they're telling Ray the story the neighbor is with uh, Ricky and they're all having like a cigar mm-hmm. and beer, they kept that kind of same sort of story. Something that's like, 
dead, dead, like rotting bodies. You know, the smell hit the neighborhoods. It seems like uh, Dante has a theme of wanting to uh, like describe graphicness and describe terror instead of physically showing it through the cinematography. Yeah, he's not going to show you a flashback, you know, of these things happening like some other directors would. It's more just descriptive. You're right. Yeah, the uh, the guy who ran the ice cream parlor. Let the let the audience. Yeah, let the audience's imagination do the work for them. I like them. that. Yeah. No, I like it too. I like it too. You don't have to tell me that it smells like, you know, or show a dead body that's like to describe the smell of it. I mean, not that I come across the, the rotting dead smells of a lot of things in my life, but I can imagine it to be terrible. Your imagination's always going to be a lot scarier and worse than you know whatever yeah. they're showing on screen i found that with a lot of horror movies just leave mm-hmm. it up to the imagination so right. joe dante but changing topics off of i was just going to change topics off of directors right now because the reason the real reason i wanted to watch a, this film i guess or a film like this was because i wanted to get tom hanks into the, into the situation i think you know by episode six we needed a little bit of like a plus uh, actors. No, we were our film. Not short we were. on Tom Hanks. On, on yeah, this we do. Right, but I'm. You didn't see this movie, did you? I had never seen this beforehand. Before. No, this is my first view. No, neither have I. And I know we had a discussion about wanting to do something that maybe was a little more more known. But I gotta say that uh, I came in with the expectation of like. Hey, you know what? Even though this is one of his earlier casts and stuff like that, this still has the potential to be a good classic, something that I'd want to see. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah, just peeling the curtain back a little bit. I mean, we we talked about we wanted to do a Tom Hanks movie, but we didn't want it to be something that people had seen a thousand times. I mean, you know, what new are we going to talk about with, like, Castaway or Forrest Gump, you know, the, those movies, yeah, everybody yeah, knows sure. they're in the public lexicon. So wanted to go back a little bit and um, yeah, I mean the, the burbs, it was a movie that neither of us had seen before, um, but it does still hold some modern cachet. I mean, you know, I, I had heard about it before. It's not like it got, you know, lost to the eighties or anything. So I definitely wanted to check it out. Yeah, yeah, I feel the same. Uh, it was uh, we were looking into it. At least I was doing a little bit of research because I was thinking of like what other movies. Because like when I think of the earliest of Tom Hanks that I can think of, and I know that like forgive me for my dates because I know they're off, but I know that Turner and Hooch was an eighties movie. I know that Bachelor Party was an eighties movie. Even those aren't those aren't. But then I started thinking of like things like Toy Story and Big, and that's a large gap. That's like almost a ten year period between when like Bachelor Party came out and then Toy Story came out in nineteen ninety five. So I wanted to make sure that we were picking a film that might not be some of his best, but it was before he really started taking off. Yeah, so, definitely. So yeah, just to yeah, kind of... we definitely. I think we hit the nail on the hammer there. <laughs> the nail on the hammer on the nail. <laughs> We hit it. It's done. I hammered the nail to my head. <laughs> yeah, so just to kind of place this where it was in his career, by 1989, I mean, Tom, Tom Hanks was a known name, but he wasn't like 
upper echelon of Hollywood stars like he is today. I mean, you know, people all, people know Tom Hanks today. Like, it, you know, you could probably find like a uh, untouched African tribe or something and <laughs> hold up a picture of Tom Hanks. They'd be like, oh, Tom Hanks, yes. <laughs> but, <laughs> oh, Tom Cruise. Oh, Close enough. <laughs> turn around hooch. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, exactly. We're, we're hooch. So, but yeah, at any point at this time, people were recognizing Tom Hanks, maybe not for his films, but his definitely his like big, fro- like flowy black hair fro that he's got going right now. It's like I was looking through like his filmography and basically from like the eighties, you can just see the fro getting bigger and bigger and bigger based off of like the, um, the front title pages that they had for the films and stuff like that. He would just be played in on there and it would just be this big, huge thing that would take up half like the VHS box. Definitely. That was his look in the eighties. And yeah, I mean, you know, before this movie, he had had some, uh, bigger roles like a big i think was you know one of his biggest at that time that was just the year before this in 88 but like you said i mean he had uh turner hooch was right after this but um the money pit uh bachelor party that was in 84 there's a movie called splash which i've heard of but never seen where he uh dates a mermaid <laughs> you know it was kind of like he he was a leading man but not in like big big movies he, yet yeah, he didn't have the writers he didn't have the writers or the the you know the, the perfect story to really like entwine where it, you know we'll find out where he takes on that much more like leadership role he, i mean whether it's to- uh woody and toy story or you know he plays the captain in Saving Private Ryan. Yeah. Like he eventually starts taking on like a lead role, but being a leader. So and like an iconic figure throughout the film. Now he's just at, he's just being the uh, main character in these roles. That's all. That's basically the most that he's feeling in these in these uh, early films. Have you ever heard of a TV show called Bosom Buddies? <laughs> I had not, but that is a hilarious. So thing. that was where Tom Hanks, I guess, basically started his career. I mean, it was like 1980 through 82. And I had heard of this show just because it was like, look where Tom Hanks started. But I mean, it, it's him and another guy, like very, very young looking on the cover here. But uh, the whole, I guess, premise of the show is that he and this other guy cross-dress as women so that they can get an affordable apartment. That sounded like something yeah. like that, didn't How it? How they fill up two seasons, well, I have no idea, but... <laughs> well, that's, old. that's an old ploy on, like, a you know, a, a film idea or a TV show idea. Now, not for TV shows, but back, I know, I can... Um, there's a film back from 1960... Five, I believe, 64, 65. It's called Some Like It Hot, mm-hmm. where the two main characters do the same thing. They cross dress to join a uh, like a band, a all female band hanging on the floor at the play resort because they're on the run. So to get cheaper rent, that seems like, you know, just another twist on the same old idea of just having cross dressers, basically, like the cross dress idea. But 
<laughs> name like bosom buddy <laughs> that is <laughs> if that just just doesn't scream what this show is going to be about i couldn't think of a better name well, that's a great name to save my life rolls off the tongue right so well other than uh, tom hanks, moving tom hanks yeah. yeah you you got something else to say about well, the man no, i was gonna say uh who else appears in this movie we have uh bruce Dern. same thing carrie fisher plays tom hanks's wife in this movie Leia. yep Big name. <laughs> we call her Leia. Her name's Carol, but I hear Tom whisper Leia every once in a while. <laughs> uh, Corey Feldman appears in this movie. Yes. Yes. Okay. So I'm, I want to take a second to t- talk about Corey here because I don't know if – have you heard of any recent news about him? Well, yeah. He came out with um, that Two Corys movie, The Rape of Two Corys. Correct. Yeah. So I've always – Okay. This is brand new to me, uh, team and audience out there. I always used to see this Corey Feldman kid in all these films. I mean, talking Goonies, Stand By Me. Mm-hmm. He was in Gremlins. He is, yeah, then the, there's a movie called Lost Boys, The Burbs. That's just five to name off the right bat. But. Yeah, so Corey Feldman, I mean, he was you know pretty prolific in the 80s maybe into the early, early 90s as a child actor, and then he just totally fell off the map. I mean, you don't really see him in any roles as an adult, or at least I can't remember seeing him in any roles as an adult. Uh, it looks like he does some voice well, acting, but... Apparently in this movie, he's an adult, even though, like, I gotta say, he looks really young, and he's got this, like, big mop of hair and the burbs and stuff like that. But he's a homeowner, and he goes and has a beer with the neighbor. So he's got to be at least, like, a 21, 20-year-old, 22-year-old, like, character in this movie. But you're right. Other than, like, I have seen the movie The Lost Boys, and that takes place in – it's movies in 1987, 1988, mm-hmm. I believe. 87. And he's, like, a big teen in that movie. Like, he's, he's you know – I would say he's at least like 25. Yeah, this is probably one of the oldest I had seen of him. Um, I will say, I mean, yeah, he he was supposed to be playing like kind of an older teen in this movie. I don't think he was a homeowner. I think his parents were just gone for the weekend. That's how I understood it. Oh, yeah. Okay. Okay. I, I was just like, I knew he was painting the house. The entire time, and then he threw the party. But uh, yeah, I don't. He was. He had a beer with the neighbors. So when I saw That's the beer, I was like, okay, maybe this kid's a little older than he's putting on right now. But maybe <laughs> still living with, maybe still living with the parents or whatever. But yeah, well, that sure. neighbor didn't but, seem very responsible, anyways. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, this crazy thing. I mean, you brought it up yourself. Is um, is with. Uh, what's going on with the documentary that just came out because apparently Corey Feldman and he had a, like a friend. Corey uh, Yes, thank you. So like more of like a brotherhood kind of thing that, you know, different people, but at the same time, they're just uh, grew up in the same type of situation, I assume. So they bonded well, but yeah, uh, really going through some strong, uh, accusations and things like that about you know sexual and emotional abuse and being molested and so yeah child it, abuse in Hollywood right yeah yeah ch- yeah child actors in Hollywood like it's it's really uh, 
kind of really disappointed to think that because he did. You're exactly right. I mean, I'm just looking right now at Corey Feldman's like film repertoire and it's long from a like only 10 to 15 year period. He must have been in like 40 movies. So to think that like, you know, his uh, stardom got shot down just because of some really shady stuff is uh, disappointing and sad to say the least. Oh, definitely. Mm hmm. But yeah, he's so he's going through some really really crazy stuff. Just wanted to make sure that I mentioned that. But I, well, the last uh, actor that I wanted to mention that at least I recognized was the Doctor Klobeck, who is played by Henry Gibson, and I remembered him from two movies. He plays the priest in Wedding Crashers with Vince Vaughn and Owen Wilson. Yeah, uh, and who basically spills the beans on them when Vince Vaughn confesses? I remember that part. And like Vince gives him like a kiss and stuff like that. It's <laughs> <laughs> like you're good, father. You're a good one. But the other movie that I recognize him from, and you might not remember this, it's a Disney movie called Luck of the Irish. No, I don't remember that movie. Oh my goodness. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm making the mention. Could, even though it's a Disney movie, and it was the same time that like Honey, I Shrunk the Kids and Smart House came out, which yeah. are like you know. They're nostalgically great movies, but to, but they're pretty like. Oh, I, okay. I just rewatched Smart House within the last year when I got Disney Plus. <laughs> and what'd you think? What'd you think? Oh, still holds up. It's great. Still, still holds true. Still holds true. <laughs> yeah, look at look at the Irish. Basically, this kid is going through like adolescence, and he's part of an Irish family, and basically he just like starts turning into a, a leprechaun, like the, <laughs> <laughs> the red hair and everything like that. And uh, basically, like the true, the oldest leprechaun, like the true, the, the last one that got turned into a leprechaun is played by Henry Gibson and is basically like mentoring the main character, this like kid going through adolescence. And I just remembered him through that. And I was just like, you look familiar, man. I know who you are. You know what? I thought he looked familiar too, as soon as Dr. Klopek came on scene. And then, right. I, I looked him up, Henry Gibson. And I looked through the filmography and I was like, uh, eh, maybe not. Maybe he just has one of those faces. <laughs> Cause I, yeah. uh, I didn't remember him from anything I had seen. Um, how did they, how did the movie do in the box office when it first came out? Did, did, like, was this movie like considered successful? So yes, this movie actually was a box office success. Um, had a budget of 18 million and made in the box office 49 million worldwide. So, okay. So they money back. Then their money. Quite like almost, almost tripled their money. That's, almost tripled their money. That's I. You know what? That's got to be because of the power cast here that they got. I mean, I don't know if necessarily it held true because of the storyline or anything like that. And maybe it's because at this time, I mean, Tom Hanks being the main role did have a little bit of juice under his belt in terms of popularity. But um, I mean, we'll go into further detail about the plot. But you wouldn't have thought this movie would be making triple its money back. Yeah, I was I was actually kind of surprised to see that too. Um, yeah, so I mean, it's definitely probably the actors brought in an audience. Um, I will say the that director. the movie was uh, kind yeah. of critically panned. <laughs> A lot of critics didn't like it at the time of its release. Um, actually, saw a quote from uh, Joe Dante. Whether he's being a little bit, you know, like. <laughs> above with this or not i don't know he says it was the worst reviewed movie of the year well, probably not but you know like in his opinion 
Um, oh, yeah. This movie. So when someone gave it like what IMDb gave it like six point five, Rotten Tomatoes gave it about a fifty. I mean, uh, <laughs> like those aren't the best reviews for someone that's probably used to getting better grades. Yeah, true. So yeah, the movie um, didn't review that well, but I will say that I mean, as time has gone on. I think a lot of people have looked back on it and uh, really appreciate it. I mean, you know, it's over 30 years old now. And, you know, I saw an article of somebody doing a, a retrospective on it and just saying, you know, how much it holds up. Um, I think people look on it with kinder eyes than the first time you look at a film that comes out. But at the same time, though, I personally believe that this film could have had uh, – it could have done better. It had the potential, and I think that it fell flat a little bit. But, I mean, you do have a point, though. I think with with age comes uh, a more nostalgic, a more, like, open look of, like, okay, this film was good for what it was at the time. I'll agree with that. I mean, I going into it, I didn't want to look up anything because I didn't want to, you know, spoil it for spoil myself. I will say, I mean, I looked at the synopsis, so I knew a little bit about what we were in for but not a whole lot. I mean, just the synopsis and the uh, cover art um, doesn't really tell you too much. Synopsis is an overstressed suburbanite and his neighbors are convinced that the new family on the block are part of a murderous satanic cult. So between that and being directed by Joe Dante, I knew there was going to be some horror elements. I wasn't really sure how much to expect. Um, I will say, I don't think they went far enough <laughs> uh yeah okay elements. not far enough or couldn't make a decision because uh, i mean like if you just take the first like look at the um at like the title the title um of the movie like on the vhs of tom hanks and he's holding on to his he's holding on to a spatula and he's, holding on to, and he's in he's got he's in an open road like so i already knew coming into this life i can't i'm not gonna get scared this this movie is not gonna jump and get me in any sort of way right but it's kind of like um it's like the suburban nightmare of having a bad neighbor that that is like the spooky type of unknown the mysterious neighbor that you never see come out and they have that dingy house and everything like that they're not working on so it's kind of like the the overall like theme behind it and what the director is wanting us to know as the audience is that like this is the nightmare for the like middle-aged uh husband and wife who have like you know that creepy next door neighbor Mm -hmm. yeah so that's i really think that like from everything that this movie was giving off it wasn't to actually scare you maybe mentally like give you a little notion of like oh that reminds me of this neighbor who's he's awful or whatever like that or like hope i don't have to deal with that in a later life but at the end of the day though like that's not a real problem (laughs) those people that's not a real thing to actually have to worry about no it's not and yeah i'll say i mean you know this movie came out in 1989 like we've said um and i'm sure there were movies before this that kind of covered like you know the suburbs but um suburbs were kind of still in 1989 somewhat of a relatively new thing i mean i think it was like really after like 
World War II, the suburbs started to get established. Yeah, I mean, people moving 50s. out of city centers. Exactly. And so really only about like, uh, you know, 35, well, 40 years old at that point. Uh-huh. But a decade after this movie, a movie called, called American Beauty came out. I don't know if you've seen that with Kevin Spacey. Yeah, I love that movie. That's great. Right. So that, only 10 years later, covers the suburbs, kind of, you know, more of a drama kind of movie. But that gets critical acclaim. You know, like, I, I think this movie may have they both touch on kind of like the horrors of the suburbs and like you know just getting into routines and like a humdrum life with you know oh look at this neighbor's lawn and all of that but american beauty i think does it in a much better fashion i think i think a big reason because of that is of um where they are setting wise. I mean, the burbs is not a real suburb. Uh, maybe it like, maybe it is some random road or something like that or anything like that. But at least in American beauty, you actually go from like the school to the neighbor's yards. You're actually expanding out into what is the suburbs, like the actual suburbia lifestyle, not just what happens and takes place on this one, maybe real road. And, <laughs> it is not a real road. This is on a and, uh, universal lot. Um, yeah, and the, the best part is, I don't know if you caught this, and I'll make the mention to it now. But in terms of cinema, uh, cinematography, did you notice that everything was wet? The streets and the the grass and everything was wet all the time. Like it was like it kept going from night day night day, but it must have been like four straight days of nothing but rain and wet, <laughs> even though it was a bright sunny day. Yeah, they time. do show rain at some points of the movie, but well, yeah, yeah, not, not constant. Yeah, there's one point in the movie. But the reason they did that is, is because for lighting reasons. Because if you at the end of the film, when like all the neighbors and the crowd start like coming towards the, the street and stuff like that, they had to make sure that they had enough lighting and to make to get all the setting because it was like supposed to be portraying nighttime. So the fact that they can have reflecting off the ground from the water that they had there makes it like seem that it's a much more lit area to be. Well, that makes sense. Yeah, actually I, I had to look up uh, this film set for this film. So like, like I said, it was filmed entirely on a you know back lot at universal studios, yep. but uh, the street and some of these houses have been reused from movie to movie, and different TV shows I mean, yeah. you know, some of them with touch-ups, some of them just as they're seen on this movie. Um, the Munsters, yeah. uh, one of the houses was used in. I think it's actually the house that Corey Feldman is in, was like the Munsters house in the uh, TV show. Um, <laughs> Leave it to yeah, Beaver. Super, yeah, they do that all the time. Uh, I haven't been to I heard one time that for studios, like if they're portraying like a city street, they actually get this. You can get a job at Universal Studio where your job is to chew bubble gum and then spit it on the ground and then like scuff it so it looks like it's been there for a while and <laughs> make it look like it's a city street with like gum on the ground. And you put set designer on your resume. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm <laughs> great at chewing bubble gum. Yeah, Leave It to Beaver uh, was also filmed in on the street. It's actually kind of funny that the town that they live in, Leave It to Beaver's Mayfield, and this street in the movie they called Mayfield Place. So, little uh, you know, 
wink and a nudge on that. And then the last big thing that um, was filled with some of these houses was uh, that show Desperate Housewives that came out in you know the <laughs> mid two thousands. Cool. So it was basically just supposed to look like a picturesque street. I mean, you know, that's it. Definitely did. If if anything about it, it's like you can tell it's a s winding street in so you can't see like beyond what's behind like the house down the block because you know it's an s winding street so you only can see the cars that come into the cul-de-sac and it is a cul-de-sac neighborhood and everyone has beautiful freaking houses with like (laughs) ornaments and like a lovely lawn with gnomes and like a bird fountain like I don't know. These guys, what kind of jobs they're working. I don't even know if Tom Hanks' character, Ray, ever tells him what his job actually is. He just has to go to the office. Yeah, it's a pretty but, vague uh, office job. Yeah, vague office job. But it pays the bills. It's got to pay the bills for a house like this. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. Uh, so uh, before we get into you know plot or any spoilers, we'll say, audience, if you like what you've heard so far about this movie, go ahead and pause the episode. Go seek out the Burbs. Uh, I don't think it's streaming on anything right now. If you have uh, the Stars subscription for Hulu, you can watch it on Hulu, but it requires a star subscription, which is crap. But at the same <laughs> time, though, you could probably find it, um, you know, go to your go to your neighbor's house that's lived in the 80s. I bet he has it on VHS. Or go... <laughs> Go find the last living blockbusters. Yeah, the last living blockbuster. I think there's one in Alaska. Yeah, it's still being so. maintained. They call Blockbooster there. <laughs> so if you happen to have stars or you do a seven day trial or whatever, go check out the Burbs and then come back to this episode just so you don't hear any spoilers. But with that, we'll get on to it. So uh, I guess before we get into the plot, I do want to talk about. Um, We'll just go around for the different residents of this street. So starting out with the Petersons. That's our main family. That's comprised of uh, Tom Hanks, who plays character Ray Peterson, his wife, Carrie Fisher, and then they have a son. Um, they also, there's a friend, um, Art Weingartner, Um He's just yeah, kind of, you know, the main buddy, buddy. He, yeah, the, buddy, buddy friend. Uh, he's the guy that's like got a good, like charismatic attitude. But he, as you can tell in the first 10 minutes, like the first thing he does when he enters their house is eat their food. <laughs> yes. He's eating them, eating everything in their fridge, man. <laughs> yeah, was, like, uh, that man went through like man. seven plates of food and a pineapple. <laughs> Definitely. Um, art. Yeah, I, he, he does appear to be married uh, at the end of the film. His wife comes out. But for this movie, it's basically just Tammy. He must be being left alone for the weekend. My or something. wife! <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, there's <laughs> the Rumsfields. Um, and that is. Um, yeah, Bruce Dern and his uh, young wife. Uh, Bonnie, uh, Bruce Stern's kind of a uh, war veteran. I don't know if they ever say which war, maybe Vietnam, but um, 
Yeah, he can't be. He's not that old. They can't be World War Two or anything like that. No. But it's definitely like you know, sometime in the fifties and the sixties, he went to war. Yeah, so. Vietnam or Korea or something. Yeah, exactly. So uh, the first thing he does is salutes the flag and steps on dog shit. <laughs> <laughs> we got Ricky Classic. Butler, who's uh, Corey Feldman, who we talked about a little bit earlier. Um, he's sort of a uh, let's say. 18 maybe 17 18 year old uh, yeah 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 i was mistaken earlier when i was mentioning that he lives by himself he definitely has parents they are not there and his parents require him to paint the house while he's there but like uh definitely this is 18 year old 80s long hair got the spiked leather jean jacket on he's definitely <laughs> the picturesque of an 18 but yeah that uh, spiked leather jacket was really something uh it was, but his character is amazing through the film because he, instead of like watching TV, he's just like, I want to know what's happening on my street. Almost too much to like, he almost did it too many times. So he said that like, oh, I just love my street, love the streets. Like, yeah, you're definitely loving, loving the neighborhood. Well, but, yeah, at the uh, end of the movie, he even has a fourth wall breaking, looks into the camera, and he's like, man, I love this street. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, exactly. All right, Corey Feldman, whatever. <laughs> yeah, like you, you get it. But uh, at the same time, though, like he it is kind of hilarious, and I'm almost a little bit envious of the fact that he has this just street where he can step onto his porch and be like, all right, what shenanigans are my neighbors getting into? Because they are so such a comedy scene that I want to see what's going on. Oh, yeah, and invites all his friends over to see the fireworks, too. I mean, <laughs> yeah, he's, he's getting all the entertainment he needs to just out of his neighbors alone. Seriously. seriously. Um, and there's, there's one more. Well, there's two neighbors, right, besides the antagonist. But who's the, the oldest man? I'm forgetting uh, his name. Walter Sesnick. Walter, yeah, Mr. Toupee. Yeah, Mr. Toupee. (laughs) Yeah, old man with a little, like, pocket-sized toy dog that, you know, goes and makes sure to take a shit on uh, Walter's, I mean, uh, what's his name? The Rumsfield's yard. Yeah, Mark Rumsfield. Yeah, so, Mm -hmm. yeah, Walter has a little dog named Queenie. Um, Maybe, like, a mini poodle or something like that. Um, It's... (laughs) Actually, uh, looking up the trivia for this movie, that poodle uh, or dog, wh- whichever it is, um, it's actually the same one that uh, Buffalo Bill had in Silence of the Lambs. <laughs> oh, okay. The one that okay. like that's jumps all, down into all, the pit. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's <laughs> uh, a little trivia that, for you. Yeah, that is a little trivia, but now you got me thinking of Silence of the Lambs. The dog has a great career. <laughs> yeah, been and lastly, we have the Klopex, who are a family who just doesn't come out of their house. Every other neighbor on the street or in the cul-de-sac has, you know, perfectly manicured lawns. And, you know, they come out of their houses. and They're, you know, they're kind of social with each other. The Klopex keep to themselves. Nobody ever sees them. Their house is kind of, you know, deteriorating and their lawn is barren. Sure. So a lot of people don't seem to want them on the street yeah they are yeah seriously deteriorated is the word it's like every step they take onto their stoop their foot goes through the planks into the, into the <laughs> they have bees this, hidden in the walls <laughs> yeah seriously this house is atrocious. but yeah this is the black sheep of the neighborhood 
by every sense of the, the meaning. Just the, the, every neighbor talks about them. They don't know anything about them. They don't see them at any point. The only person that seems to have any notice of them at the first part of the movie is um, Ray's son. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, he's the only one that sees them. And the first thing, yeah, his name's Dave. So Dave is the only one that sees them and Dave sees them. And the only thing that they're doing is like digging in their backyard at night. So real sketchy stuff coming from these guys. Yeah, definitely. And yeah, I mean, so now that we've introduced all the characters, you're right. Yeah. There's there's some weird stuff happening at this house Uh, in their basement. um, You know, every night you can see, or you know, see lights flashing and hear like whirring sounds coming from, their house, you know, the, all these neighbors just know something weird is happening, but everybody's a little bit too skittish to knock on their door and introduce themselves. And so um, Ray, Art, and Rumsfield, they all team up because they want to figure out what's happening with this family. Um, and yeah, I mean, you know, Ray sees uh, all the guys um, – digging holes in their backyard, raise, you know, a next door neighbor to the Clopex. And um, yeah, I mean, you know, sees what he thinks might be like graves being dug in the Clopex backyard. So, you know, it's a lot of just like talking between the different characters on this street of like, Hey, you know, what do you think these guys are? Yeah, are the grave robbers or the cannibals? You know, there's this family that lived there before them called the naps. And, you know, Nobody uh, really ever saw a moving truck come in and, uh, you know, move them out and the Clopex in. This is all just weird, but. Yeah, yeah. It seems like these guys are just like, just doing like the neighborhood jibber jabber. It really is. It's like just playing a huge game of telephone and going into each other's houses and figuring out what they're going to do. And, uh, well, the first thing that happens is try Ray and Art trying to go over there to knock on the door, and that's when they get attacked by the bees, and the Rumsfield has to spray them down with the hose to try and get them to cool down and get the bees off of them. But, yeah, it's the next night, right before, they, that they want to really go check out and see what's up with this house, because Ray and Art, well, it's actually Art. Art is the one that is just filling Ray's head with ideas because Tom Hanks' character is trying to enjoy this one-week vacation he has. And Carrie Fisher, Carol, is just trying to convince him and Dave, why don't we just go to the lake? But Mm -hmm. he's this kind of guy, I don't know. He's the type of person that finds comfort like being lazy at home for an entire week, which I get being lazy for like a day or two is nice, but if I were to stay at home for a week, and not do anything. That sounds just like my, my mind would race, and I would get to. I wouldn't be relaxing anymore. But according to Ray, <laughs> what you want to do. I and, agree with uh, that. Yeah, Ray wants a staycation. You know, kind of before wants, that was even a thing. Yeah, exactly. He wants a staycation, and his staycation consists of art going into his home and filling him his, his head with ideas while emptying out the refrigerator. Yes, Art's the kind of friend who, I mean, it seems like a good friend, but, you know, almost uh, kind of conspiracy theorist. <laughs> or, you know, he, he he's the one who's really driving home that, like, 
these people are weird. We got to get down to the bottom of what's happening here. I think Ray could probably live the rest of his life, you know, just kind of, uh, you know, gritting his teeth or holding his tongue and, you know, just being a next door neighbor. But Art's the one who's really pushing, you know, we got to figure out what's happening here. Exactly. Exactly. And I don't know if you noticed this from like, I don't know how they wanted Tom Hanks's character to act in that movie, but he just, I felt like he was screaming a lot. <laughs> he was just like getting in arguments with Carol or like talking to Ray or something like that. But he was just like, trying to portray this character that like i'm relaxing but i can't relax and he's like always yelling and like obviously getting into fights with carol who wants them to go on vacation but she seems very like okay hey let's go on vacation and ray's like no <laughs> and carol's like okay it's your vacation <laughs> like yeah doing it's your vacation you're doing it was kind of a different side of Tom Hanks than I had seen in other movies. You know, now he's kind yeah, of. I don't know, yeah, I don't know what he was trying to go for. It wasn't like, it wasn't like big where he's like a, you know, child playing in like a kid's actor and being like childish and care- carefree or like Woody. And he wasn't like any sort of leader. Like he's a dad, but like he's not, he doesn't have any sort of like, you know, that type of quality to him. Uh, instead, he's kind of just this like, I I don't know I don't know after the, seeing the rest of the movie I would call him a loser dad but uh, at the beginning of the movie I hadn't necessarily gotten that loser fact but he was definitely one of he was definitely an over eccentric workaholic dad yes and so I mean yeah that's I think that's part of what we're supposed to take away from the movie is that these you know suburbanite dad and men are are just so. I think bored that they need some excitement. They need something going on. They need these neighbors to be like, you know, murderers just because it's the most interesting thing in their lives at the moment. Totally. Totally. Yeah. Their lives are so bland and so like tedious and repetitive that this, this is better than anything they could have hoped for. They're holding on to it for everything they got. Right. Yeah, Ray doesn't want to just take his, you know, week-long vacation from his nondescript office job to go to the lake. He wants to get some excitement, you know, and it's, yeah, it's a lot of art pushing him, you know, to (laughs) the things that he does, like breaking and entering into a house. But, you know, he's easily convinced when art's telling him what to do. You know, he, he wants some of this excitement, too. Right, exactly. So, uh, what's the first thing they do? Right, they 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 try and peek. They're trying to peek at him. They see him taking out the yes. trash. The one of the clopets taking out the, the trash. trash is one of the earliest things. Yeah, the uh, kind right. of younger clopec boy, teenager. I don't know. Um, <laughs> he uh, <laughs> takes out the trash in a weird way. Um, you know, we have Ray Art and. Uh, Rumsfield all you know sitting behind some uh, trash cans across the street just monitoring what's going on and not the best hiding place I have to say like even though we're in a scene and stuff like that if I'm just expecting like (laughs) if I'm the youngest Klopek taking out the car which he does he takes the car to the the garbage cans at the end opens up a trunk takes the garbage out and then like 
not only puts it in the garbage can, but then like bashes it with a shovel to get it down in yeah, there. Yeah, he has a hoe, and you know they they add in some like squishing sounds and stuff as he's trying right. to get these bags <laughs> into the trash can. Yeah. Um, uh, I'm blanking right here, Matt. Help me out. What's the uh, type of job where you add the audio into a film? Foley artist. A Foley artist. Thank you. Thank you. Excellent work. A plus. <laughs> Thank you. The Foley <laughs> did not get his shit right with this film. Oh, he was like slapping <laughs> chicken breasts together. Like, <laughs> I don't I know. know where he got these sounds from. Do you remember the scene later on the film audience that, uh, you know, uh, Ray gets offered a sardine and pretzel as like a hors d'oeuvre from the Colpec? <laughs> and how that sardine made when it was in his mouth was the slimiest, goopiest thing ever. I know that's what they were trying to portray, but like it just didn't sound realistic. It sounded like the man was eating like gelatin or like, I don't even, I couldn't even tell you. It, it sounded strange, yeah. but it's fascinating to see how some of those sounds are made, but that's, uh, right. <laughs> that wasn't a very but, realistic but that, one. <laughs> right. I know. But back to where my original plot was going. If we're just imagining Ray Art and Rumsfeld behind these trash cans, and we're only going through like a suburban street, so you're talking like maybe five or six feet away, and this guy comes all the way down to the end of his driveway, and they're not—they're hardly hiding behind these trash cans. They're like in like a half crouched, crouched like my head and shoulders are peeked over the side. I would look at them and be like, "What are you guys looking at? I'm taking out the trash." Like, hey, neighbors, like, what are you doing? <laughs> Yeah, and they it was one of those things of like yes, any normal situation they would have been caught, but like you know, half of them still sticking out <laughs> over the trash cans, but um but that's what but to to wind it back together, like that's at that point I think is when Art and Rumsfeld finally convinced Ray that like there's something sp- suspicious going on here. He's, Ray's like, I've never seen a man take out the trash that way before. Yes. And yeah, and then that's immediately when it starts raining and like it really gets a real ambiance of mis- mystery going right, on. Right. So they suspect that, I mean, th- that trash that was taken out has to contain, you know, human parts. And so, but it starts raining that night. You know, they, they say, hey, we want to look through the trash. We'll just do it first thing in the morning before trash is collected. And they all go to sleep. Um, <laughs> Well, get up the next morning. <laughs> Trash is already being uh, collected when Art yells at these two uh, <laughs> trash collectors. Hey, what, what are you doing? What are you doing? And, you know, like put that back. And he starts tearing apart the bags and emptying it on the street. And it's just full of regular trash, <laughs> banana peels, and yeah. whatever. But <laughs> yeah, this is the better parts of the film for sure. Just the fact that, like, our art and Rumsfeld go in, like, our <laughs> first. First, it's Art that's digging deep into this trash can. And we're, I'm talking deep. He's going like six feet under. And then Rumsfeld comes in right like five seconds behind him. And half of his face is shaved. And he's still got shaving <laughs> cream on the other half of the face. And he goes jumping in first. And the entire time, um, who's uh, the, the eldest? Dick Miller. Uh, or the yeah, exactly. He's like in the work and he's like, what's going on with these guys? And his comp- compatriot garbage man is just like, you know, it's the wall. Once the garbage hits the ground, it's theirs. Once the, <laughs> and then, so and once the, the trash is taken to the curb, it's public domain. <laughs> and then, 
Exactly. So he's like, by the Supreme Court, by the Supreme Court, it's it's law. And and as like some sort of point for like either it's the garbage men making a point for the rest of the film or just for the fact that they want it as comedy there. But for like it must have been two or possibly three more days that take place for the rest of this film. No one picks up that trash on. Yes, all the garbage that got emptied out on the street is still just laying on the street. Cars are running over it as they come in and out. It it was it was very funny. Um, I will say this movie has some great uh, one-liners. It's definitely a very like quotable movie, and I don't know whether to chalk that up to the writer or not. The writer of this movie is person named Dana Olson looked on their IMDb. They didn't really have too many other credits other than this one, but you know, uh, he was the screenwriter, but then in 1988, there was a uh, writer's strike. And so, you know, usually with a movie, the writer's still on set, you know, they'll make, you know, changes on the fly or update the script as things are going on. I heard with these actors that there was actually a lot of improv going on. And so it had, it sounded like that. I mean, uh, or sorry, seemed like that. Right. Because uh, I will give the fact that it seemed that the writing fixed for what they were doing in the, in the sense of those funny moments, but it's really the acting that got it. It's the fact that I saw Art and Rumsfeld go nose deep into the garbage suits and dove into the yeah the garbage man talking one another and stuff like that or later on the film you know when they're trying to uh you know infiltrate the clopex's uh house an area that's you know it's got a fence around it and some of that it's the comedy of them busting themselves to get over the fence is the funny stuff not really necessarily what they're saying right and so, yeah, I mean, they, they find nothing in the trash cans. It's out of the ordinary. So they think, right. hey, exactly. these bodies must have been you know, taken out of the trash at some point at night, maybe dug in the backyard, what you know, Ray saw earlier in the movie. But um, everybody knows something weird is going on, and that's only cemented when uh, Walter, the older guy on the street, his dog is running loose um queenie and so i mean you know walter's one of those guys who like you know this dog is his life <laughs> you know like he he never uh, wants yeah, it out of his sight so, yeah, if queenie is out when walter's not there that's a problem so and i think ray noticed that immediately right so everybody on the street kind of goes to walter's house they're knocking on the door um you know he's not answering it, it, it's weird um they suspect something may have happened to him and so <laughs> I think it's uh, Rumsfeld is the one who goes around and uses some of his uh, military prowess or whatever to uh, suction cup <laughs> off <laughs> one of, uh, you know, the, the windows of the house. And uh, they break and enter <laughs> into uh, Walter's house. Right. What did he, he had this like one liner to him or stuff like that? He was just like, you know, when you have a military man on survey, he'll save the day or something <laughs> like that. Like, 
something really and then he was like entree into the house <laughs> <laughs> like very very strange to be like a military man and he's really proud of what he did to accomplish to break into that house yeah and you see some of his other gear come up later i mean he has like a infrared scope and a uh, military grade walkie talkie he, he's taking uh he's taking suburban life pretty serious full rambo outfit and everything like that and he even carries a rifle yes. like he's like, <laughs> there's one point where cory cory's character ricky's like hey uh rumsfield is that a gun and he's like stop talking to me he's like okay <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> so they uh, they break into the house and they can't find Walter anywhere. But what they do find yeah. is his toupee, and so they know, hey, something's happened to Walter. He wouldn't go out without his toupee. <laughs> yeah, another Rumsfeld line is just be like, right, if I know old men like I do, they don't leave the house with the toupee. And so, so this is fishy. <laughs> Right. So, yeah, I mean, Ray takes up the dog, Queenie. Uh, you know, they, they kind of dog sit over at their house for a little while. And uh, he actually writes a note to Walter, too. <laughs> the first note was a lot better than the second one. <laughs> the first one, he kind of explains yeah. the situation. Sorry for, you know, breaking into your house. But he, he, uh, he scratches that out, writes another note. Talk about says, breaking the house. I have your dog. Yeah, <laughs> and puts it in his mail chute. Right. Well, that that note actually uh, becomes a little important, at least to further cement the fact that Ray believes that the Klopex are these weird people because uh, um, at one point, the further on, basically, Carol is at the point where Ray is in timeout at the house because he's still freaking out and going over this Klopex stuff, especially when Art introduces Ray to a satanic book about like you know possessions and succubuses and things along those lines so and of course ray shows carol which is like i don't know if call me crazy and i but if i'm a suburban husband and i got a wife who's trying to tell me to relax i'm probably gonna hide the fact that i'm going through satanic books and stuff like that instead of showing to her that i'm further not relaxing by looking at this rubbish (laughs) <laughs> yeah i i get that <laughs> right. i would agree but uh, it's um it's further at this point that like ray's in time out and so he's trying to relax but art, art and rumsfield are trying to get him to like come out and play almost like childhood boys they even like go to the edge of the driveway and like carol carol can ray come out and play and they like kick they kick the dirt when he can't come out but they're a brilliant idea because now Ray isn't like heading the investigation with his like somewhat, you know, um, clear composure, I guess. He, they write um, the Kopex a note and it, the note says, I know what you did. Yeah. I know, but I know it's funny. But, like, I cannot think of a more worse note to write to people. Just, like, maybe it was supposed to be accusatory and kind of, like, have some, like, you know, hey, we got we got the cars. You don't have anything. But that's a terrible thing to write to someone, especially when they've never even seen your face before. They're just like, I know what you did, man. Yeah, he, he said he, you know, he was trying to, like, basically, like, goad them out of <laughs> the house. But, um yeah but it's at that point to tie it into that note that bray wrote to walter it was the fact that now 
Ray feels like the Clopex has his name written down. He's the one that wrote the note because they don't know that Art was the one that actually wrote it. It was the one Ray because Ray was doodling in his notepad that he they think it's his notes. Now, not only is Ray further getting more suspicious of these people by finding things like, you know, Walter missing from his house, but also the fact that now he's in the hot seat. He's he's got to do something now, or else you know he's going to be the next victim. Definitely. So I think the thing that kind of sends Carol over the edge, and you know, she wants Ray to basically <laughs> stop worrying about these neighbors, is that it, it's after Art shows him this book of uh, you know satanic <laughs> rituals and things like that. He has the nightmare. <laughs> You're, I thought this nightmare was a really funny part of the movie. Um, <laughs> yeah, so it was it, it's it's one of those <laughs> things that's uh, played up as you know. Um, you, you you can't tell you know what's was dream or not at first. Of you know, Ray's trying to go to sleep, wakes up in the morning. He, he's walking down his staircase, and there's a. Uh, chainsaw that comes through his uh stairwell and comes down and you know at this point i was like eh, is this is this real or is this in his head you know i i, right. I couldn't tell and then you know things just go crazy from there that you can tell immediately yeah, it's he, a gets tied, he gets tied to like his backyard grill yeah, he gets tied to a grill. Like the ultimate <laughs> that's the ultimate male symbol for like the suburban male and some of that so now he's the one that's getting roasted on the barbecue and then he gets and um we forgot to mention this audience sorry about that but the whole thing that started ray being suspicious was ricky and um uh, Art trying to tell Ray this old story, which uh, was about this uh, soda fountain man back in, I don't know, maybe 20 yeah, years. Some so sort of called ice cream this. parlor or something like that. He's an ice cream parlor man. He ends up murdering his family and stuff like that. But the, the funny part about this, guys, and I'm going to make sure I mention it here, is the fact that <laughs> um, Ray... And I mean, yeah, Ray's listening to the story by Art, who knows the story like the back of his hand. And he's talking about, hey, do you remember when this the mall that's down the road, there used to be a drugstore there. And remember, there used to be a soda fountain there. And he looks back to Ray and Ray's like, yeah, I remember that soda fountain. How long have these guys been living in this neighborhood? Like, I thought they are like, you know, they're grown men. They're like in their 30s. And like maybe they I, I would think they just move into this neighborhood. But they're talking about like a drugstore that was there like 20 years ago. Like these guys must have been here during their like childhood years. And they ended up buying this home that's like in the still in the same neighborhood. It's they're like agreeing like, oh, yeah, I remember, I remember those old days. But I've only been living here for about five years so i probably don't remember oh yeah days. i didn't think about that i was like yeah yeah why would they have not grown up there yeah but yeah that art art true. is just talking to the yeah art, since art and ray are around the same age he's like yeah you you remember this and this is where that that old that old man jenkins guy he ended up you know one day he's making uh you know soda fountains and then he murders his family and then the whole neighborhood smells like you know rotting flesh and stuff mm -hmm. like that because they're buried underneath but like yeah it's like 
wow. They were just like, I thought about that and I was just like, wait, that story doesn't add up at all. Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> all, right all right, you're just a filthy liar. And Ray's agreeing with In this nightmare, Tom Hanks is tied to the grill outside. And, you know, they, there's all these cult members, you know, with uh, horns and they're, they're chanting, uh, Satan is good, Satan is our pal. <laughs> just <laughs> so funny. And then Art comes out, you know, dressed as that same uh, soda parlor. Uh, Man. Yeah, he was the best part right there. He's like, do I look like the soda yeah, guy? Yeah, he's like, Ray, it's me. I, I'm dressed as the soda man. <laughs> it's uh, it's pretty funny. And then, and then if it ends the same way that the soda man was supposed to end his family with the Ray getting ice picked and stuff yes. like that. Um, yeah, it's at the point here that um, one of the last thing. Uh, ray does before uh they do i guess the climactic you know we're gonna find out more about this family and stuff like that oh i actually sorry i'm i'm jumping a little head too far the carol gets involved and so does bonnie carol and bonnie get involved with this whole scenario we didn't don't you remember that yeah and actually before that happens um yeah, Ray's sitting in his backyard talking to art and the dog comes up with something after digging under the fence that's where i was gonna go that's where that's where thank you thank you that's where i that sorry guys that's where i was originally starting to try to tell you about is when ray's trying to take a nap and art gets all in his face and starts telling himself like that and the ray's dog goes and (laughs) finds a bone because he dug it up beneath the fence of the colfax yard and the best part about that whole scene was the fact that when they come to the conclusion that this had to be like a human femur and stuff like that they do they both scream like ah this is real and the cameraman does one of those like pan in pan out pan in pan out it's like whoa, 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 whoa. whoa. i didn't expect <laughs> that <laughs> so that's all i was trying to say guys but at this point right now like carol and bonnie are trying to stop this rubbish and they go and they're like we're taking this plate of brownies you two are coming with us and we're gonna go meet the Yes, and so that's the first time that they actually introduce themselves to the Klopex. Um, so, yeah, they knock on the door. They have a plate of brownies. <laughs> Rumsfield actually uh, drops it <laughs> right before and then has to scoop them up from off the ground. <laughs> <laughs> he plays footballs back into the fucking the, – the stupid – like that. <laughs> yeah, so we, we have uh, two Klopex that were introduced to immediately – we have Hans, who's kind of um, maybe a, a teenager. Um, He's the one that was driving the car to, with the trash in the earlier Yes, scene. that's right. And then Ruben um, Klopek, uh, who's sort of a uh, older man. Um, and they're definitely some sort of – I don't know if they ever say where they're from. Eastern Europe, uh, you know, kind of have that yeah. accent. Real heavy Eastern Yeah, European. I think – Going, is it they're a European international like unknown they're different than the uh, average American is what they're really trying to portray right there yes but my yeah and basically like throughout the scene and stuff like that they're trying Carol and Bonnie are trying to be friendly neighbors and they're trying to just like squash the bug but um, it seems that uh, Ruben has it out for Ray because I think Ruben is the first one that found the note and um uh so but 
it's one which right before we get introduced to the third member of the Klobuk family, which is uh, Dr. Werner Klobuk, who is the guy played by Henry Gibson. I do not see any correlation between this family. I don't either. From like, <laughs> from like the gingered Hans boy who looks like he grew up in like West Virginia. He's got the suspenders on and he's got these like mutton chop sideburns. And he looks, and I always thought the weirdest thing about that thing too was like, you have a doctor here and like his brother who must, I would also consider to probably be well-educated. Why does this kid not look educated at all? <laughs> like, like, it look, looks like the way his his intelligence looks like the way he's yes looks, which is the, the, not it was a weird family dynamic yeah because uh, yeah yeah i'll say that hans klopek you know yeah he's got like a, a bright red uh hair and beard and you know i i didn't exactly see the relation with uh ruben or uh werner klopek but <laughs> no, I didn't see it either. But, yeah, I mean, the inside yeah. of the house is basically as you know, kind of run down and disheveled as the outside of the house. You know, they haven't been taking care of this place, and um, yeah, I mean, they you know, they're offering them uh, sardines and pretzels for <laughs> lunch <laughs> and stuff like that. It's um, it's weird, and then they they start hearing some sounds from down in the basement i think it's rumsfield who's you know uh kind of kicking on the floor saying you know, like what you got down there you know like you got some people chained down in your basement reuben <laughs> and um yeah. uh and we forgot we forgot at this time that uh art is actually infiltrating the backyard yes, right. while, while this is going on right now so he's trying to like go commando like with his like covert off scene and stuff like that and he's trying to get any sort of scoop of like what's going on in the backyard there but yeah exactly it's weird because there's a knocking noise that comes to the basement and uh rumsfield is the first person to make mention of it but it kind of gets swept under the rug throughout the conversation but it's at the point where dr warner is introduced that they actually like do a candle lit like meal and kind of cooled everything down. And he's the one that's kind of like diffusing the situation because uh, he's chatting up the girls and stuff like that. I thought this part was funny because he mentions, he's like, I wanted to light some candles to make it more romantic for the ladies. And he cuts across the scene and you see like a couple of candles right before he does, but right when he gets past the front of the table, you see in the middle of the table, there's like 30 <laughs> candles <laughs> making a huge bonfire. Yes. It's like, it's like an obnoxious it amount of candles. Excessive amount of candles. <laughs> like, ooh, romantic and deadly. <laughs> yeah, so Warner, he's definitely very well-spoken. Uh, I think they even say he's like a university professor or some sort of yeah. um, pathologist, I think they say. Um, yeah, right, exactly. And his whole point of being there is to go to the university. Like, he, uh, he's always on the move. And he even made sure to make mention that, like, we're not even going to be here much longer. We're going to the university tomorrow to discuss possibly moving again for our next project or what Yes, have you. definitely. And when he comes up from the basement um, – he is wearing like 
a, a smock and some gloves just has uh, <laughs> one of his yeah. gloves just like completely covered in red and shakes Ray's hand. Um, I know. What an asshole. Like, you know, you have crap on your hands. Like, it's it's bright red. So, right, Tom Hanks on the corners, he's like, blood. blood. And then Warner is like, no, it's paint. Right. But I mean, a what painter. a jerk to be like, hey, man, I just came from the basement. I'm working. Here are your clean hands. How you doing, partner? <laughs> like, here's some filth for your hands. Right. But yeah, I mean, so <laughs> I don't know if this has anything related to like that old saying, like, caught red-handed but like it's his right hand it is just covered in red and yes he blames it on that he was oh. just painting down there but um yeah well oh matt you're with figure that out it is so funny <laughs> so yeah i mean so you know nothing really seems to be out of the ordinary but Every yeah, every suspicion uh, got some sort of explanation. The AOK, right? Um, but yeah, actually, Ray still I think wants to see what's down in the basement. Opens up the basement, releasing this gigantic dog that the Clopex have that <laughs> busts through the back door and uh, Art's <laughs> standing there, you know, trying to infiltrate the basement and, right. like, you know, chases him off. That's kind of the end of the scene. But we do find out that Ray found something that still incriminates the Clopex behind uh, Walter's disappearance. And that's Walter's toupee or toupee was uh, sitting stacked between some magazines in the basement. Um, and the magazines were addressed to Walter. Right. Well. And so, like, not did they have it we know that that's weird because Ray had stuffed Walter's toupee back through Walter's mail slot. So that means that they had to have gone into Walter's house. So he thinks right. he has these guys pegged. I mean, you know, they're the ones who kidnapped Walter must be Walter's femur, you know, why else would they have his toupee and why else would he be missing? So Exactly. So now now Ray is convinced Carol and them uh, and Bonnie that, you know, okay, I believe you. Everything's okay. We're gonna enjoy our rest of our vacation and stuff like that. But then he takes the boys aside and he's like, No, this is how it really is. This is my true feelings and stuff like that. Uh, and I did want to make mention here, I don't know if you know this is too, but like for the there's a lot of dogs in this movie. There are. Yeah, three different dogs, <laughs> there's, right? There's, I know we have about six families here, but like three of them are, you know, own a dog. So it's like it's the suburbs. I mean, I'm not on <laughs> Living in Charlotte, North Carolina, it's like the ratio is like one person to every two dogs. I can't really. <laughs> but um, yeah, it just seems like this movie, <laughs> it's just like. There's a lot of dog business going on. That's true, yeah. Three dogs for one movie. <laughs> but um, seriously, yeah, you're right. So I mean, Ray convinces Carol, his wife. You know, hey, hey, things are fine. I still want you, you and uh, our son to go on this uh, lake trip. But you know, I'm just going to stay at the house, do my staycation. Everything's fine. Sends her right. off. Right. I think I think he was going to play golf. I think they were going to play That's golf. Right. Was the thing. He got he got Art and Rumsfeld to go hit it. Hit some rounds or something like right. that. Right, and this is where things are on. You know, now now that Carol's gone, uh, Art <laughs> climbs up a uh, 
electrical pole and wants to uh cut the power to this uh you know kind of fence um trip wire that the clopex have over their fence that you know would... yeah well they have, yeah they have this brown ricky ding fence and uh, don't forget guys the clopex right now they've left the house because they went to the university to like the dr warner was yes. talking about they're they have... So the on the house at this point is completely vacant. So all three of them and the dog. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And and I got like he is a doctor, and I know that they live in this rinky dink house, but their car is like the biggest piece of crap to ever come off the lot. And they're just like making this huge puff of smoke down the hill to make sure that. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Conveniently, they have three of them and the dog with them for whatever reason when they go into the university. And they have this car yeah, like, driving over the trash heap that's you know now on the street. It's it's kind of a funny scene. Yeah, it is. It is. But yeah, it's really at this point that like Art is trying. He believes that he's like he's got this electrician. He knows what he's doing. And the Clopex not only have this brown wooden fence up, but past it are some like electric fences as well. So they climb up to the top of this like telephone pole wire. And like, Art's just like, I know what I'm doing. I'm going to go to town and immediately gets like, just completely bolted yes. and, and falls into the Clopex's, uh, they have like a back shed and about that. They, the, I got to say here that um, the uh, makeup artist did a fantastic job depicting art as like someone who just got electrocuted yeah, his See, fingernails like, fingernails black. <laughs> yeah, his fillings he was talking about oh my fillings are like hot <laughs> i have like fillings right now like his whole body and like some of his leather was like Smoking. he looked <laughs> he looked like someone that actually would have gotten electrocuted yeah speaking of but foley man, artists he bounced back with he bounced back and fold though he was like ah oh, we're good it's just a little electrocution it's a couple hundred thousand volts <laughs> speaking of foley artists i thought it was kind of funny when he was touching his fillings you know you would hear the sound of like zap zap <laughs> <laughs> yeah you're right like ooh, a little extra fill. Ooh, oh juice is still left in there but right, right so it, but he did the job though right he got rid of the electric fence so now Definitely. all of them are in the backyard that worked and uh so yeah it worked ray and art they're trying they're, to they're the two men mm-hmm. on the ground rumsfield goes up to the top of his house's roof to kind of uh you know stand watch he <laughs> he has a walkie-talkie you know between so they can communicate with them but he also has a rifle <laughs> yeah and that's yeah and that's exactly where uh ricky is like <laughs> Hey, Rumsfeld, why you got a rifle? He's like, shut up, kid. <laughs> He's like, all right, I'm just going to paint my house. And, but all during this, though, we keep forgetting about Ricky because Ricky is like watching all of this stuff happening. He's t- He's been there watching and surveying the past couple of events that we've been talking about. And now what he's doing is he's inviting all of his friends to come to his house. And they're like, he's like, guys, I know something's going to go down. This is, this is the day that shit's going to go down. We got to watch it. Right. He's giving his friends some uh, free entertainment and they're (laughs) ordering pizzas and stuff and just standing on the front yard. Exactly. Exactly. But right. It's yeah. Rumsfield's, uh, Staying watch, and the first thing that Ray and Art do is start trying to dig up the backyard because that's where they think the the bodies are, or that's where they think Walter. Yes, is. yeah, they dig up the backyard. They can't find anything, and so I think it's 
you know, art who's like, well, you know, obviously they've already dug up the bodies and, you know, they've, they've moved them inside. So they know that they have to get in. Um, here we, <laughs> they're just breaking into, into another house, the Klopex's house. <laughs> yeah. Like <laughs> if it wasn't Walter, who's like, Oh, you know, we don't know where Walter is. We're his friend. We're his neighbor. Instead, Ray's just like, Oh, here, let me take this little piece of paper and like put it around my wrist. And she just punches right <laughs> through the window. And uh, he's just like, hey, all right, we're breaking. So they're that, serious that, about this. I mean, you know, they, they know that, you know, they're going to find something because otherwise, you know, they're, they're yeah, going to be arrested for breaking exactly. and entering. And um, For sure. Yeah, so they're exploring so, yeah. the house. They go down to the basement. You know, they're not finding anything out of the ordinary until they find a gigantic furnace. I mean, something that's, you know, way too big for, like, heating this size of house. Um, right yeah i mean it's attached to like a 50 different batteries so make sure that's working properly and if i that and it also had like a devil demon like picture or like uh sort of like metal design that was on top of the um yeah furnace it had been kind of like yeah it correlates to like this one thing that ricky said at the very beginning the movie when he was talking to Ray about like, have you seen this movie about like the doors of hell that were, it's like a doorway and it's open stuff like that. So like that was Ricky, like saying like these, these must be some satanic demon people and having a furnace that type of size. And especially when art turns it on and it just like spews fire out the chute, it kind of like summed it all together. Yeah. You know, these people are definitely from, you know, some sort of satanic cult, some demonizing. Yeah. The, uh, yeah. They, they know something's going on here out of the ordinary. And so they actually start digging into the basement floor. So it's just kind of like a dirt floor you know, of this basement. And they're using yeah. uh, pickaxes and shovels and getting down there. They're not really finding anything. And, <laughs> um, you know, the power has been knocked out for the whole neighborhood thanks to uh, Art going up on the uh, <laughs> electric pole. And I think it's right about this time that the Clopex kind of come back at night. They're driving down the street. They see all the lights are out, but then they see light emanating from their basement. And so we just see their car, you know, come to a stop. And then just reverse. And that's all that we, <laughs> we see of them for a little while there. Right. It was really it was like <laughs> if, if Rumfield was just doing his job properly, he definitely would have saw like a car coming down the road <laughs> right there. Like, it was a very full plan view, especially with their clunker of a gas ridden car that's making all this goddamn noise and stuff like that. It's just like, okay, I like, I can not see this guy. But, yeah, he wasn't doing uh, a very good job keeping watch. And I, <laughs> at some point, I think Ricky yelled something to him and he, he falls off of his roof and discharges. Yeah, and then so again yeah as you can tell guys this is a funny movie in its way yeah. but it dark by no means at all it's very it's very ridiculously funny but yeah so the it seems like the clopex know something weird's going on and it's at that point that uh ray strikes some sort of metal 
And so they think that's like a casing or something. Ray and Art think that's a casing where Walter's going to be or something yeah, like that. Yeah, they're like, you've, you've hit a tomb or something like that. Um. Right, exactly. <laughs> but then they see the clothes. I think it's, it's clothes start coming back and now they have a cop with them. Right? Right. Well, yeah, it's, um, it's uh, Rumsfeld is trying to tell them or at least tell Ray that over the walkie-talkie, but Ray's cover the walkie-talkie in, uh, you know, mud as he's digging out this pit. Um, yeah, so, I mean, you know, they, they, they strike this, like, metal object down there, and, you know, they, they want to keep on digging to find out what it is. Anyways, Ray strikes it a little bit harder and starts to smell gas. And uh, right. he's like, oh, God, we've hit a gas line. Um, <laughs> and, yeah, I mean, during this time... Literally, as that's happening, we see like Rumsfeld sees another car that comes in, and it's who else is it? It's uh pulls into Walter's house, and they find out that like their entire theory of basis of this whole like uh suspicion of the Flopex is Walter coming out, and it looks like he's getting helped out of the car, so he must have had some sort of like being an old man had some sort of like hospital distress and then immediately had to be yeah, had some sort of medical emergency or something yeah, but he, you know <laughs> the important part so is that's, that's walter has not been murdered <laughs> yeah so now there's like a double whammy of like their whole theories down the bust and now they know that there's a break and entering because the cop's about to get involved with the clopex <laughs> and yeah ray hits the gas line and the whole house goes yes up. to make matters even worse yeah so i mean <laughs> Art has already <laughs> run out of the house, but that, the entire house blows up. It's uh, yeah, and, and Corey and his friends were like, "Oh, finally, yeah, yeah. Like, wow, we got we got what we came Some here action. for." Um, blew up. Yeah, and I mean, yeah. <laughs> I think Carol and uh, Dave the son are even coming back at the same time. It's it's kind of like a <laughs> everybody descended at once to uh, <laughs> see this final scene through. But yeah, the right, house yeah. blows up. I was thinking at this point, like, did Ray just die? <laughs> you know, the- yeah, he did. Ladies and gentlemen, if you see the way he was trying to get out of that hole he dug when he hit the gas leak, he was not successful in getting out of the hole. He was flopping around like a- right, and that's maybe what saved him <laughs> with uh, you know the house blowing up that he was in the hole. But um, maybe he he comes. I mean out he's definitely hurt i mean you know his, uh, his clothes are torn up and one of his eyes is uh kind of yeah, oh, yeah exactly it looked like he just like got like had an allergic reaction to a bee sting on his face or like he got a black eye but i don't think an explosion would cause a black eye to happen it was so even though it's a oh, weird choice what? some of his hair yeah, on that side was singed off make up art to put that on there, I wouldn't have thought that would have been the best thing, yeah. but they cut his clothes right. Maybe if they had a few, like, embers on his shirt or something like that, that would have really brought the whole thing together, but well, <laughs> whatever. his clothes were definitely torn just, up, but... Um, they were torn up, like, yeah, but I mean, either way... Ray this, makes some stuff. shrapnel hit him in the eye or something, I don't know. He <laughs> <laughs> took a lead pipe to the eye or something like that, but... Uh, he walks out the front door or like <laughs> wobbles out wobbles, the front yeah. door. So he's, yeah, he still manages to make it okay. So, but uh, for someone who just went through that whole entire experience and then, like, of course, like K 
Carol and uh, Dave make it back into it and stuff like that. It's like it was a horrific scene and stuff like that. But like the cops are not like really taking it that much in charge of the fact that like this house just got blown up and these people are the reason the cause behind it and stuff like that. Like Tom Hanks is just like walking around like aimlessly trying to get bandaged up from his wounds and stuff like that. Well, yeah. So, <laughs> and even one of the cop cars gets uh, impaled with <laughs> this like weather rod that uh, light, lightning that rod that was on the top of the house. But yeah. So, I mean, you know, at this point, it, you know, I knew that the movie was coming to an end and I was like, oh man, like <laughs> this is a nightmare scenario, you know, like it's, you've just blown up your neighbor's house. Like, you know, that's, that's <laughs> jail time, like, you know, a lawsuit, like yeah. all of the, you know, like, and honestly, I mean, I think, you know, Carrie Fisher, uh, you know, Ray's wife, Carol, she seems she doesn't seem that angry at Ray, which is or weird. Or that just that his her husband's about to go to prison. It's more like oh, you shouldn't just listen to me, like you know, <laughs> right? Because she's been trying to tell him the whole time to just you know, hey, give up on this, just enjoy your week off, you know, come with us to the lake, you know, like don't don't listen to art. And then he goes against her with all of that, and then now he's basically you know financially ruined the family, it, you know, if. <laughs> If these Clopex ended up being, you know, um, innocent. Yeah. He's just ruined this family and the, the Clopex as well, like from any like real financial and emotional stride. And it's more like a, it could have been this way, man. Right. Like, little, little Dave is not going to college because you have just <laughs> eaten up his college fund. Yeah. He's about, uh, yeah, you just be in need and like blow up someone's house. You're going to jail. You're not going to see Dave for like 10 years. Right. And so, I mean, you know, Ray, Ray gets bandaged up. He's talking to the, uh, you know, detective who's now on the scene and um, they, they're giving him a rundown of, you know, all of these uh, different, you know, crimes that you've committed. When he's talking to Art, because, yeah, that's he's, Art is the one that's like, you know, trying to uh, defend their case. Right. And that's when the like telling him and reading their stuff. And it's at this point that all the neighbors are kind of sitting on the side of the stoop where uh, Tom Hanks was and uh, Art is trying to try and like neutralize the situation being like, you know, we shouldn't be giving up. Like there's still, there's still some real fishy business going on. I think this is probably the best part of the film because it's really ties into breaking the fourth wall towards like Tom Hanks blowing up and talking about the, like the average suburban person and, that like it wasn't the Clopex that were ever crazy or suspicious or you know lawbreakers in any ways. It was them themselves being these suburban people because all they've worried about in their lives are taking care of their lawns and going to work and stuff like that. That like now that you you said it yourself earlier, they were so bored with everything that was going on in their monotonous life that any sort of it wasn't the fact that these guys were just like creepy people it was more like they're they're doing something wrong by being isolated and maybe introverted people and you know tom hanks is like you know at this point they're like you know that's okay you know it was us that wanted to try and like make it into something that it wasn't so yeah 100%. that's kind of like 
Yeah, I think that's exactly what he, and I think that's what was supposed to be spoken to to maybe all the other suburban people out there in the audience. It's just like, you know, don't be drama ridden people. Don't try and like fabricate something that obviously isn't there just because you have like neighbors or friends that don't necessarily fit your perfect lifestyle of like being, you know, super neighborly people, you know, people come in all shapes and sizes. You disrespect that for what it is <laughs> and be a good neighbor. I guess. So, you know, without having seen the movie before, I actually thought that that was going to be, the end of the movie with that being, you know, the message for the audience to take home. <laughs> I was like, Oh man, no, it didn't, I, Opex I, I are innocent. Cool. And like, it's, you know, it's kind of one of those situations where it's like, Oh, maybe we are the monsters. Don't be bad. But that is not where it ends <laughs> because Ray gets into the uh, ambulance to be taken off to the hospital. Carol says, Oh, you know, I'll follow right behind you in our car. And on comes um, <laughs> um, Warner. War- Warner Klopek. Uh, he, he sits down with, you know, Ray alongside the stretcher. And he's, uh, you know, you, you may have fooled them out there, but you did not fool me. I, I know that you looked inside the furnace. And Ray's like, what? No, I, I really meant all of that. You know, like, I, I, I didn't look inside the furnace. He's like, I know you, you saw the uh, skulls inside the furnace. And <laughs> yeah, he's, like, he's just like throwing himself under the bus here. <laughs> it's, and it's, all of this is happening because like, you know, Tom Hanks had like you know like a, tan- a temper tantrum, and so when he, he like literally picks up the stretcher and throws it, like, and he does that on multiple occasions. I'm telling you, like Tom Hanks has like a bit of like an angeriness to him in yeah. this movie. He's like he a, gets a little temper here and there, <laughs> temper tantrum. Exactly. So, like, he, he picks up like the ambulance stretcher, throws it into the back of the ambulance, and then lays down on it belly first, and like has his head in the corner. And he's like, I don't want to talk to anyone else. <laughs> Take me to the hospital. He's like, take me to the hospital. I'm sick. <laughs> that is what he says. Take me to the hospital. I'm sick. Yeah. So he doesn't see Werner get into the ambulance at all. It's only until Werner like actually taps him on the shoulder. And at that point, he's like, oh, doctor, I'm like, he confesses. He's like, I'm so sorry. Like, I'll make sure to pay you back when I get out of jail. But like the doctor's like not convinced at all. I will not for being a doctor, he did not handle that situation well at all. Instead, he just spills the beans entirely and is like, Oh, I'm gonna silence you once and for oh, all. Yeah, he one hundred percent spilled the beans, but he thought it's because, you know, Ray knew the truth, but I mean he little did he know he would have gotten away with it if you know he just didn't <laughs> do anything would have got a new house and everything but yeah so i mean exactly. he, he has uh you know a shot of uh, something to kill ray and is trying to administer some, to him. some green, some green yeah, some something, green something something nickelodeon slime and uh <laughs> it's hans <laughs> who is uh driving the ambulance too and they just uh <laughs> he peels out of there you know he's not even trying to look like you know an ambulance driver or anything like that he's i know but like 
<laughs> was he dry? He drove like someone that was on horse tranquilizers. I mean, my God, that guy like sped out. And I know, well, it started off with, like Tom Hanks, you know, Ray and Dr. Warner, like figuring, fighting it out and stuff like that. But at the same time, like he's doing a really good job for someone who just got into a house explosion to fending off a 2v1 situation and he obviously gets like Hans a little bit who's driving but like he's driving like someone like that's literally like talking tranquilizer because <laughs> <laughs> it is going everywhere except for the road and then immediately plow, plows into the front of uh, whose house was it? That was that Ray's house or was that Art's I house? Think I think it was Art's it was house. house. Yeah, it was either Art or Ray's house. And uh, yeah, basically, it's like they slide out on the stretcher, Tom Hanks, <laughs> and, and they're like, just struggling with tons of people as they're like trying to make sure not to get stung by this like syringe they have in their arm. It was really, really strange. But they, you know, the stretcher goes all the way towards. Uh, the Clopex's automobile, and you know, as they try and break the party apart, it's um, Ricky who, looking in the trunk, lifts up like a tarp in front of all of his friends, and it's just like it is. And, <laughs> I had to say, a really, really large amount of dead yes. people, dead bones, bones and skulls, and things. It is on a Halloween like, store amount of skeletons. <laughs> yeah. Like I don't know what they were thinking when they're like looking into this trunk right before they were shooting the scene. They're just be like, "No, there's not enough in there." What are you telling me? There's like six different people worth of skulls in there. Now we more need more skulls. skulls. Need more. Need more skulls. I need more rib cages. We need all Give the skulls. Give me that femur there. right now. But <laughs> yeah, exactly. I don't know what's up with these Clopex or, and they never. <laughs> I know for being the antagonist in the movie. They really didn't have any sort of like <laughs> filling out of the character. Why were they killing people? What was the point of this furnace that was in their backyard? Like, you know, what was the correlation between all these dead people? Were they important to any of us in any way? I guess yeah, not. So but, it's, uh, it's revealed to us that they did murder the old family that was in that house, the Naps, but that was. Right. Too many bones for just the naps. I mean, they they've they've killed other people. Yeah, that was really <laughs> the last only only at the the point where they're having the struggle. Do we learn that the naps are killed by these right. guys? So like, and and why did they have to you know kill this person? Oh yeah, because oh I remember they they the naps wouldn't sell the house. Right, older so, couple uh, wouldn't sell but, the house. I mean, right, even though that's a little small niche into what I was saying, there's still a like large portion of filler that I feel like we missed about the Clopex and like what necessarily were they so evil for? So, yeah. So, I mean, uh, it's been proven (laughs) correct (laughs) in all of this. Um, (laughs) I mean, it probably just reinforces him for the rest of his life (laughs) that, Yeah, he's gonna not only is he gonna keep real. sneaking in the neighbors' houses. Yeah, he's not only yeah, he's exactly he's gonna keep going into the neighbors' houses, man. Every time he's gonna go get those, you know, steaks and pork ribs and stuff like that, he's gonna be like, Hey, you remember that time that I caught the Clopex? All right, I get this food for free. <laughs> I got mean, oh, you all owe me, you all owe me. Yes, and uh into the movie, 
we are treated to <laughs> basically just a uh, one-on-one with um, Corey Feldman <laughs> as he's like, man, I, I love this cul-de-sac or I love this neighborhood. Right, exactly. And even though Art was like, I guess, the one that was right during this entire time, it's at the, and like you were just saying, everything collapses into this one moment. It's at the exact point that his wife and kid get home and they see the ambulance plowed into the front door of his house. <laughs> Art's last words are just like, my, my wife! wife. <laughs> my wife. Yeah. And then it's like, yeah, Corey's just like, hmm. Love the cul-de-sac. And then that's the movie, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. That, that is Ray, Ray tells him that his, his family is going away for a little while. Tells Ricky to watch over the neighborhood. Basically, you're, you're, you're the man of the house now, or you're the man of the neighborhood now. Watch over it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a real like father-son moment for... <laughs> yeah, the pass of the torch for a not-father-son moment. And the best part was, I guess, for... Uh, Ricky's character is that like every time he addressed Ray, he was like, "Yes, Mr. Peterson." It was almost like every single line that he had that was addressed to Ray was like had to have Mr. Peterson in there. Like almost like no kid talks like that yeah, anymore. Yeah, pretty respectful, but maybe that's just you know. Yeah, yeah, I was, yeah, it was, oh, oh yeah, overuse of the Mr. Mr. Peterson. So that but, is the burbs. Uh, yeah. Um, it was the what first. did you we did think it. about the movie? Great question. I thought it was. Well, I mean, just talking about it now, I'm laughing because we're making fun of all of these different little quirks and things that came into the movie. And some of it was like, you know, purposefully put in there. So, like, it does make this movie a comedy. I think it would hit on the comedy. Now, horror, because it is labeled as a horror, not a thriller, you know, not like a gore fest or anything like that. I don't know what else you would call it, but, like, they could put it under the horror category, and there's not one thing scary. No, there's not. There's no real suspenseful scenes or anything like that either. The scariest thing probably had to come during the race dream sequence when just because the way they're angling the character and just like with all the, you know, like torture and the hooded figures and satanic people and some of that, you know, they went into work and look scarier because it's like, an yeah, but even that but was kind of, if you're telling me the that the clo- yeah, but if you're telling me that the Clopex are like supposed to be a scary sense or the fact that they opened up that trunk to see the skulls, I wasn't scared in the slightest. <laughs> it definitely doesn't help making a horror movie that's also a comedy. Like, I guess it's, it can be like a satirical horror movie, but at the same time, though, it's just like, you know, I can't be scared if you're making me laugh. Every yeah, time. there's definitely some great horror comedies out there. I mean, you know, if we're talking about For Tucker sure. and Dale versus Evil or, you know, Behind the Mask. Um there's some great horror comedies, but I think any time that you introduce comedy definitely draws away from the horror. And, and you know, I, yeah. I wouldn't say this movie had any horror to it. You know, it was a horrific situation, but it's more of a comedy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. If you call it a horrific situation, I think that's just more for the sense of just like, you know, if you were a, if you were in this scenario it would be horrific right. if you were a suburban family and you had this horrible neighbor and they were weird and they ended up being like this 
that's a horrific situation. But like, if we're going to put that into the, the odds of like actually happening, if that's what the whole point was for the audience to feel that way when they left the movie theater, I'm not walking away feeling that way. Like I'm thinking like I would have to be like, that would be like a lottery ticket that my life actually went around. Yeah. And I mean, you know, I think, as long as we're labeling it a comedy, it succeeds at that. It, you know, I, I thought it was, it was a really funny movie, like through and through. I thought, um, especially. I thought, I, I thought it had moments. I thought it had moments. Um, I, tell me, tell me if you feel this way. Do you feel when it comes to at least comedy or something like that, it's it's almost better watching the film with others than watching it by yourself? Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah, well, then, and that, trust me, that's not for every movie out there, guys. But it's just that. Uh, for this movie, and when you poke fun at it, it's funny to poke fun at it with others because then they can see it as well and laugh it with you. But it's like, as it did have moments like you know Art getting electrocuted and the whole uh, situation with like Corey and his gang of friends just like viewing and spectating their neighbors being ridiculous. That's funny stuff. But you know, I think the majority of the comedy came from me pointing out flaws about the movie. Yeah, that's fair. Or Yeah, whether or not they were intended or not, you know, that's that's for the director or at least like what we can see as, but I think there was a few things in there that we were just looking at that were just like, <laughs> this is a funny, this is funny that, that how they went about doing this. <laughs> well, but, yeah, I mean, even the way that the uh, <laughs> camera was used sometimes, like when you're talking about <laughs> zooming in and out on... Yeah, the pan and in and out like yeah, like that's that's just that's something that you know the director put in there to make it funny. But you know, that's that's that. But uh, in terms of overall plot, I like the plot in the sense that it had potential. Do I think that the writer executed it properly? No, I think there's a lot of plot holes that kind of fulfill. And I mean, this this movie isn't a long movie by any means. It's only about like. Uh, an hour and 20 minutes i think an hour off so uh maybe it would have maybe if they were on a time crunch in terms they had to remove some things in like editing but uh some important things that needed to be drawn out needed to be there like going into more depth about the clopex for one that they needed it to be drawn out more in terms of like really what they were doing there what was the correlation between Ricky's story about his, you know, doorway to hell and the furnace, you know, just because there was a furnace there, it didn't really, you know, uh, have any sort of like real meaning there. Yeah. It looked scary and it was ginormous and it, but it didn't really have anything going on for it. And um, yeah. Yeah. I think in terms of just like overall character development and maybe, uh, just let someone some sh- small points on the plot could have probably made it a better. Film. Yeah, but I mean, I will say, you know, I I've been meaning to watch this movie for a while. I'm glad I finally did. I mean, I I think it's one that hey, if you have the chance to see it, definitely see it. I mean, it's I thought it was good. Um, you know, it's not gonna go on like my top ten <laughs> list or anything like that, but um, definitely a fun watch. Right. I- yeah, and I mean, hey, I love digging into 80s films and doing like long sprees of just focusing on films that came out in the 80s. I would put this up there in the 80s films in terms of like enjoyable films that are easy to watch, easy to digest, 
few laughs here and there. And uh, especially if it's something that you grew up because you had the VHS in your house because your parents had it and stuff like that, I could put it into the nostalgia film yes, too. Yes, I bet a the, bunch of the, people have nostalgia for this well. movie. So, yeah, I think that there's, there's definitely a group of people that love this movie, speak highly of it, and would. But as me, now here I am, 2020, and, uh, you know, this is the first time that I'm seeing this movie in comparison to some of other Tom Hanks' work and other actors in that film's work and things along those lines. You know, uh, I give it what it is. It is what it is. I tell it like it is. <laughs> tell it like it is. So, yeah. I mean, if you want to see a young Tom Hanks before he became the, uh, you know, Tom Hanks that we all like know, <laughs> love. He's the guy you just want to give a noogie, man. That, that hair, hair is yeah. too involved. Yeah, to give an old hair scruff or something like that. You old rascal, you. He's got to tussle up that. I wish he still had that yeah. hair. I just watched that uh, movie that came out on Apple TV, Greyhound. Um, you know, where it's it's a very you know serious kind of uh, naval uh, war drama movie. If he had just pulled off his captain's hat at one point and had that big poof of hair underneath, would have made the movie excellent. <laughs> it would have turned a great movie into an excellent <laughs> film. But yeah, I can just imagine it all being all kept yes. up in that hat and it just comes up and goes <laughs> I detract from my rating because Tom Hanks did not have his 80s hair. <laughs> mm, mm, I understand. I understand valid point. But I'm going to other than that, man, I th- I think we hit uh, all the points here. Do you have any further opinions, comments, questions, concerns that you'd like to make about the bird? Well, I say go check it out. I mean, you know, it's going to be best if you can find it streaming anywhere. I know it comes and goes from different services. You know, if it's yeah, totally. if it's buy it versus stream it, I'd say eh, maybe just wait till it comes on streaming. You know, it's a movie that, you know, you're not going to be wasting the money if you buy it, but I can't find myself revisiting more than once every couple of years. Um, yeah, sure. And if you're a listener living in a suburban area yourself, go find any of your neighbors that are like in their 50s or 60s. They probably have a VHS collection and I would suspect this would probably be among one of them. Oh, I thought you were going to say so, go find them and accuse them of being serial killers. <laughs> I mean, you know, if they have a really strange house and they go by a weird name like the Clopex and they never find out what, what European heritage they're from, then yeah, yeah, maybe <laughs> they need to do a little bit of digging. Yes, back break there. and enter because you will be right and they are murderers. <laughs> you will not go to prison. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have to put a disclaimer behind that or something like that? Because that was way too convincing. <laughs> I'll put a disclaimer in the uh, comments or the uh, <laughs> episode uh, little subtext. So, yes, if you sure. want to see Tom Hanks's great hair, I will be putting a photo of that on our social media. If you want to follow us on our social media, go to Instagram and follow us at that movie was, or you can go on Twitter. Or follow us at underscore that movie was. Guys, we're very hip. All right. There's a lot of social media aspects out there we're, and we're killing it. So follow yeah, we're pretty us. active on Instagram and Twitter. It's yeah. been good fun so far. And our captions and our captions are hilarious. So get on it. <laughs> get on it. <laughs>
All right. Well, that's been our episode of The Burbs. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe to our podcast, That Movie Was, and check out some of our past episodes. But guys, and tell your neighbors or your mailman or your friends or your enemies, you know, <laughs> tell everyone. Yes, tell your enemies. Come join us. <laughs> Have them give us a five-star rating <laughs> on iTunes. There you go. Perfect. So, well, thank you, Matt. You did a great thank job. Thank you, Michael. Appreciate it. And until <laughs> next time, don't take our word for it. Go see for yourselves. That movie was. That movie was. Bye. <laughs> Bye.